This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Bors and Isabel Hartman. Today Nadine Doris has announced that the government would has decided to put Channel 4, currently a public broadcaster, out for private sale. Katie, it's something that's been talked about for a while now. What are the ins and outs of this? So I think it's an interesting one when you're trying to work out the government's motivations. The Culture Secretary Nadine Doris has said the government ownership is holding Channel 4 back and selling it to a private owner will give it the tools and freedom to flourish and thrive as a public service broadcaster long into the future. Channel 4 um, figures take a different view as do Labour and as do some Tory MPs. I mean Kirsty Alsop I think probably has put it most succinctly saying it's a load of utter twaddle and that's the location location presenter. But also what was interesting it was this was announced last night and this morning uh, series of uh, senior Tories came out to criticise it. You had Ruth Davidson, the former leader of the Scottish Conservatives, criticising it. You had Tom Tugendhat, Damien Green from the One Nation group. So I think it's MPs that you would see traditionally as being on the left of the party. But they're pointing out that Thatcher was instrumental in Channel 4. So actually, they're saying, well, this is a, it is Tory to have channel for as it is and not privatized in terms of the motivation i think that there's been interesting comments i don't know if they meant to be as they're perceived but you have julian knight who is the chair of the dcms select committee saying that it's risky to do this but he says the element in the room time is this being done for for revenge for channel 4's biased coverage of the likes of brexit and personal attacks on the pm now, speaking to some Tory MPs, I was calling around earlier saying, you know, what's going on with this? I think there are many who think it's better for it to privatise, they don't think you should own it, but you can't get away from the fact that there are plenty of Tory MPs and plenty of Tory MPs think Nadine Doris is one of these. And you ultimately think that Channel 4 has been biased, they think it is the broadcasting wing of The Guardian, and therefore there is quite a lot of animosity towards Channel 4. And therefore I think that while we might hear the argument, uh, and that's the, the official government line, there is lots of talk this is a political move, and perhaps one which is, you know, flashing some ankle to the right of the party, to, to, the, to the membership. I'm not sure how many members, or, you know, sitting at home are voters thinking about Channel 4, but that is uh, one perception of this in terms of why they have decided to do this. And I think probably on a, a serious point, which is if the government's argument is really that in the world that we're now in, in terms of on-demand, you are better getting in the market and competing in things like Netflix... Is Channel 4 going to be able to compete with really big organisations like that? Um, I think the jury's out. Mm. I mean, Isabel, that's the government's official line that privatisation will help it compete with these new age, um, much more innovative broadcasters. Do you think that privatisation, maybe I'm playing devil's advocate here, is necessarily a punishment? I think it depends what kind of first principles you have as a conservative. You know, there are there are lots of people in in the party, but more on the sort of free market side, who think that anything that that can be commercially owned, anything that can be under private ownership, should be anything that sort of works under private ownership, and that the state should be as as small as possible, and that things work better when they are entirely within the commercial sector. But there's also even if you don't think that. There is also a sort of wider 
agenda here, potentially if you're making the argument about Channel 4 versus Netflix and other streaming services, we've heard that argument also with regard to the BBC and the reform of the licence fee. And, and so there is a, a wider agenda here about the broadcast landscape. Now, uh, as Katie said, uh, a lot of people on the, the sort of centre-left of the party, the Conservative Party, are, are saying that actually what Channel 4 does at the moment is create a, a good source of competition within the public broadcasting landscape and it sharpens up the BBC and it also provides a uh, an alternative perspective on on a lot of things and and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's sort of lefty although I suppose a lot of people on the right might argue that that some of its broadcast uh, news is is more left-wing than the BBC but then you know there are a lot of people in the Conservative Party who think the BBC is very left-wing as well so <laughs> politicians tend to see broadcasters as, as taking uh, the alternative political stance to them rather than just asking them annoying questions as is their job. <laughs> Katie, earlier this afternoon, we've also heard that Ian Anderson, uh, the government's LGBT business champion, has resigned. What has he said? Yes, so this is the government's LGBT business champion, Ian Anderson. And ultimately, it's a letter to the Prime Minister, an open letter, where he cites the recent row of conversion therapy as the reason that he is stepping down. So he says, the recent leaking of a plan to drop the government's flagship legislation protecting LGBT plus people from conversion therapy was devastating. Conversion therapy is abhorrent. Only hours later, this plan retracted, but briefing take place that trans people would be excluded from the legislation and therefore not have the same immediate protections from this practice was deeply damaging to my work. So... I think it's been interesting the past few days because this is a story that blew up at the end of last week um, when the government appeared to U-turn on its plans to ban conversion therapy. There was immediately a big backlash from Tory MPs, particularly I think Tory MPs from the younger intake, saying, well, you've committed this, why would we not do this? And you saw the government U-turn but leave trans conversion therapy out of that so they do not, no longer plan to ban trans conversion therapy. Now, it's clearly a very sensitive topic. I think loads who are against this, um, so you think actually taking trans conversion therapy out is the right thing to do. Um, so that actually this is more about and that this is their, you know, virtue signalling to say you're banning something when actually it's about what legislation works. And there is a question when you don't have all the current definitions in terms of, you know, what will count as trans. Uh, it's, it's quite hard to have meaningful legislation and you can have unintended consequences. And therefore, they think it's very naughty to try and include trans conversion ver- therapy in this. But I think it you're seeing lots of you know charities now pulling out of a conference an lgbt plus conference that the government was planning so it's becoming a very messy and public row for the government isabel it does feel like all of this hasn't been discussed enough when we're talking about conversion therapy because when we talk about conversion therapy i think a lot of people think about gay and lesbian conversion therapy which can be you know historically all sorts of very horrible things like electrocution that kind of stuff but when we're talking about trans conversion therapy that's the kind of therapy i think i'm right in saying where you're asking a teenage child you know do, are you sure that you are having gender dysphoria? Why are you having gender dysphoria? That kind of thing. That and that that also counts as conversion therapy in this definition. So there hasn't really been a conversation about it. And I think this is one of the problems. Not meaning to sound totally myopic. Uh, one of the problems with our legislative process is that MPs are, are very good at debating principles. 
they're not so good at debating detail and unintended consequences. And they tend only to find out about unintended consequences once legislation has been enacted and it turns up as a problem in their constituency surgery. So, for instance, you might be someone who is uh, fully supportive of uh, transgender rights. You might be somebody who thinks that gay conversion therapy and indeed that any sort of conversion therapy that would that would seek to um, harm and in some way sort of punish trans people uh, would be abhorrent. But you might not want a doctor to be, as Katie said, to be criminalised for just making sure that a teenager who they are diagnosing with gender dysphoria does not actually have autism or body issues or indeed it has been sexually abused, which can lead to a sort of body hatred which which may be something that somebody who then later wants to detransition because they've decided that their transition w- was not the right thing to do might be very angry about and we've seen that in the case um, of Kira Bell mm-hmm. for instance um so the problem is is that to then raise those questions people will engage with you on the principles again and they'll say ah oh, but you're anti-trans you're anti-trans and this this is the problem we see throughout the UK legislative process is that, that that if you query details, you're not engaged with on those details, you're engaged with on the principles. And I think this is a really thorny thing. This is why Nikki da Costa, who was um, former head of legislative affairs in number 10, has been raising concerns about this particular piece of legislation for a while because it is not as simple as saying we are going to ban this bad thing. And quite often when governments say we are doing something to stop this bad thing, they end up producing another bad thing in legislation that they haven't thought through because they are so convinced of the good of what they are doing that they are unaware of how thorny the law can be and how complex life can be as well. And I think on on gay conversion therapy, one of the reasons that their ministers at first thought they would drop this and then obviously you turned and said they will ban it is because there are lots of questions about, well, what is this ban going to do? Because in lots of the areas where gay conversion therapy happens, very religious, private communities, it's very hard to get into them. Mm. A law change isn't necessarily going to be Mm. what uh, is the most impactful way of doing that. But I think what's clearly happened is it's become a point of saying that you are against gay conversion therapy and therefore I think for many MPs actually just the optics of saying you're dropping gay conversion therapy it means that you you know it sounds as though well well, if you're dropping it does that mean you support it and therefore I think that's why it's gone to such a situation where there's been so much anger and all sorts sides about it and it's quite hard to have that middle conversation which Isabel's referring to. And Isabel, finally, President Zelensky of Ukraine is talking to the UN Security Council today about these horrifying footage that we've seen over the weekend and we talked about on the podcast yesterday. Where are we at with further sanctions against Russia? Is that the kind of emotional appeal from Zelensky that's going to help change the, the dial? Yeah, so he's visited Bucha, which is one of the cities uh, where these war crimes appear to have taken place. And so he will be speaking about that. We've had calls from Liz Truss, our Foreign Secretary, to tighten the sanctions further, particularly with regards energy. And uh, this is a point that Zelensky is uh, driving home at the UN Security Council. Obviously, one of the members of the Security Council is Russia. And Truss has called, and so has uh, Boris Johnson, has have called for Russia's membership of the UN Human Rights Council to be suspended. 
But the way in which the UN Security Council works means that, that, that that's not really possible. So it, it is a, I mean, it, it, it's not a, a sort of powerful body in the sense that it, it's ever going to make a decision that's going to sort of uh, punish Russia because Russia will be able to veto that as full membership. But what it can do is highlight which other countries are supporting Russia and also, uh, as you said in your question, put, put emotional pressure on Western countries to increase the sanctions uh, against Russia. Isabel and Katie, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. Do join us again tomorrow. Mm-hmm.